welcome to episode 53 of Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And I'm back. Hooray! I was replaced by the lovely Karen, who did an excellent job. Um, but uh, my ridiculous amount of university work has now evaporated, largely due to the uh, university worker strike yes. um, that's happening this term. So I don't actually have any lectures to go to, which is great. Um, so today, what are we talking about? We are going to first of all discuss um, top of the TBR versus bottom of the TBR. Which books do we read first? And mm. that is a suggestion from another Karen. So thank you very much for giving us ideas. So many Karens. Yes, as we've mentioned in the past, most of our listenership is Karens, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> and, we look, and we're very happy that you're all here. Yes, it's wonderful. Um, and then in the second part of the podcast, we are going to compare two books by Penelope's, and this has caused much confusion among <laughs> both of us. So who knew how many people called Penelope wrote books? Um, <laughs> Penelope Lively, according according to Mark, versus Penelope Fitzgerald's The Bookshop. And I don't even want to go there with how confused I got in the library when I was trying to... <laughs> Pick appropriate books. It was it was awful. It sounded like you knew exactly what we were doing just then, even yeah, if that's not the case. Well, we did start before we before we started the podcast. I did start talking about Penelope Mortimer before. Who <laughs> was also yeah. great. We could talk about her later. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So Simon, first of all, how are you? What are you reading? I'm good, thank you. I had a little day out in Berkhamstead yesterday, which oh, was lovely. Um, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> In my head, it's just outside London, but I think it's actually quite a long way from London. I think it might be in Buckinghamshire. Um, okay. Essentially, I just put it into Sat and I drove there and um, to visit my lovely friend Lauren, who is a listener to the podcast and indeed suggested our books for next time. So we'll, we'll come on to those later. But hi, Lauren. Hi, little Freddie. Um, <laughs> that's her son, not just, you know, <laughs> a short friend she has. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that was very nice. And I am currently reading uh, Bookworm by Lucy Mangan, mm. um, subtitled A Memoir of Childhood Reading, which goes from sort of picture books, the first, you know, the first books that she ever engaged with, and is going on as she, as she gets older, uh, looking at the books she loved at different ages. And she is um, much like many, well, like both of us, many of our listeners, she was one of these children who always wanted to be reading in a corner and not joining in with <laughs> boisterous <laughs> games and said, I could be presuming, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it, particularly now that uh, the picture books I found yeah, quite interesting, but now that she's getting into the sort of books that I loved, like Ina Blight and Narnia and Tom Spinnegan and all sorts that I'm, I'm really enjoying, reliving them through her eyes. Oh, that sounds lovely. I really yeah. need to get that book, actually. Yeah, um, I don't know a lot about Lucy Megan. I do, I think I follow her on Twitter, but I don't have, I haven't followed her journalism. But when I saw, uh, someone tweet about this book, I thought, yes, I need to, need to read that. Oh, well, I like her journalism, so I think I will enjoy the book. And it sounds like okay. we read all the same books growing up, so you know. Yeah, so, um, yeah, quite a few of these books I've, I read since, well, some of the books which I've read since I, I was growing up, but it's been pleasant to find out that I did actually read things that weren't Tina Blyton <laughs> as a child by re- reading about, um, yes, Enos, but whatever, and remembering. Oh, yes, I did actually vary my diet of Tina Blyton occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you? What are you reading? Um, I'm currently reading a book called Alan Quatermain, which is a is the sequel to uh king sullivan's mines that's the name and it's h rider haggard and it's basically it's victorian adventure story set in africa um and is exactly the sort of thing you would expect of a victorian adventure story set in africa um and (laughs) horribly racist racist, but also hilariously wonderful in every way and i'm actually really enjoying it it's um yeah it's just very victorian and very masculine um and just good fun actually and i'm thinking maybe i ought to read king solomon's minds because i haven't actually read that you don't need to they're completely separate so it's a sequel in the sense that ellen quatermain is the main character who's in king solomon's minds um but they're not consecutive stories i think probably there's some crossover with the characters but if you didn't know about the characters beforehand it's it's not essential that you've read the other one because i'm managing just fine 
Um, but the book starts with him. He's back in England and from his previous adventure at King Solomon's Mines. Um, and his son has died and his wife's dead and he's got nothing to live for. And then he decides to go back to Africa for one last adventure. And it doesn't matter to him if he dies. Um, and then they come across a, a hidden white race of people in the... Um, oh, in man. the in the middle of Africa somewhere, which is you know, and that nobody really knows where they've come from, and possibly from Babylon. Um, so yes, it's all very interesting. <laughs> it sounds awful, but I'm glad you're enjoying <laughs> it's it. It's awful, but in a good way, in a trashy way. <laughs> and I just looked up. Apparently, there are 15 books in this. Series. Oh yes, they, I mean, Brilliant. I don't know how he can, continues it all, but you know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, at the moment, everyone's in love with the, with the, the ruling twin sisters um, of this kingdom. Hmm. So I'm interested to see what what happens there. Who gets the girl and who doesn't? Oh gosh, well, <laughs> do you keep us posted? <laughs> I'll keep some Twitter updates. <laughs> Oh dear, spo- yes, 100 plus year old spoilers. Yeah. And then you, when you get to the 1913 book, Child of Storm, <laughs> I'm quite excited to hear about that. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, just before we get into our main topic, I will do a little quick Patreon update. Oh, yes. my books on the floor as well. So people who listened last time will know that we now have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash teal books, where you can support the podcast and the hosting costs and also get various rewards one of which is getting a thank you in every episode so thank you to randy who did who's um yes subscribed at that at that level and i'm glad he did because I've, i meant to mention him in the last episode where we talked about or karen and i talked about beverly nichols because it was randy's enthusiasm for beverly nichols that helped make me actually read one of the many books i had by him and then after that many of the books I had by him. Yeah. So that's nice. And since recording, Elizabeth has also signed up at that level, so thank you, Elizabeth, as well. But yes, I'm really hoping that someone chooses the tier where I send them a book every month, because I really want to force my reading on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> my friend Marley recently suggested that she was trying to think of how to sort of um, change her reading a bit or, or find new things, and she said, sometimes I think I should just hand over all my reading decisions to someone else, and I was just like, I'd love to be that person so much. <laughs> It'd be so fun to just give someone a list of books to read and know that they would read them. Is that? Is that megalomania? I don't know. I just think it's passion. Yeah. Let's call it that. <laughs> yes. Ruthless dictatorship passion. Yeah. So it's the only thing I want to dictate is people's reading. The rest of the lives they can get on with what they want to so yes, part one, top of the TBR versus bottom of the TBR, um, which is a yes book as uh, a category suggested by Karen, who blogs at Karen's Books and Chocolate, um, and yes, she basically was reliving for us that um, book lover's quandary of I've just bought this new book I really want to read, but I've also got all these other books that I haven't read. Which one should I do first? What's your initial thoughts? Well, my policy with buying books that are new not necessarily second-hand books not so much but new books that I've, I've paid quite a lot of money for is i'm only mm. going to buy that new book if i'm going to read it straight away so okay. i would if i've been out and about and i've seen a new book or i know a new book's coming out and i want to read it immediately because it's topical or whatever i will normally prioritize that and read it straight away because i'm excited about it and i want to get involved in Especially if there's lots of reviews and there's lots of talking going on about the book. I want to be able to get involved in that while mm. it's current. And how often does that happen, do you think? Um, probably, you know, once every two months or so I might do that. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Um, I think I... Because, I mean, I don't get new books very often, as you know. But I think when I come back from a, a bookshop hall, often I think, oh, I really want to read lots of these now and then and they go on top of the pile mm-hmm. and then something else comes up instead <laughs> um so very occasionally uh i will start reading something as soon as i've bought it but you know obviously i'm always reading other books so usually i'm just keep going with the books i'm currently reading um sometimes on holiday i will buy a book and immediately read it which is quite nice to sort of quite a nice change just to read something immediately. I remember when I was in um, Washington, D.C., I, I picked up um, Floater by Calvin Trillin, which is about journalists in, in Washington, D.C., and I was staying with journalists in Washington, D.C., and I thought, this is the best place to read this. I should start this straight away. And that was fun. But, um, but no, generally, I think for the books I uh, 
end up picking tend to be somewhere between the two. And this year I've been trying to do more of the books that have been on my TBR for a long time. Um, which has been quite an interesting experience because I, I'm trying to read things I've had for at least sort of 10 years and haven't read. And I know that probably you would have long ago thought maybe <laughs> you have read them <laughs> at that time, uh, burnt all traces of them. But um, it it's interesting because I'm mostly just reading things that were my taste 10 to 15 years ago. And largely that's still part of my taste, but I think my taste has broadened quite a lot since mm-hmm. then. So... Um, Whereas when I'm picking books, normally I try and make a nice variety. So, you know, I mix a modern or more modern one with an old one, non-fiction, blah, blah, blah. The ones I'm now I'm concentrating on trying to read things I've had for, say, 15 years that I am just going back to 1930s domestic novel after 1930s domestic novel, <laughs> which, um, or 1920s mostly, which is, you know, great, but, um, I need a bit more variety, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, I tried, uh, a- I've, I keep trying to do this thing where I'm like, right, okay, I really need to get to these books that have been hanging around for a long time. And I make myself a little TBR pile. Like, I'll go through my books and I'll select six. And I'm like, right, these are the next six books yeah. I'm going to read. And I pile them up. And then the thing is, I look at them and I think, oh, I don't, I don't really fancy any of these books. And so I'm a very sort of instinctive reader. And mm-hmm. I'm very based on my mood and my emotion at a particular time. And you know, sometimes you don't want to read the 500-page biography that you bought two years ago because you went to a museum and you've wanted to find out about that person. <laughs> you know, I should have read it then yeah. and there, and I didn't. And now it's probably going to take me 10 years to get around to feeling like reading about that person again. Just like particular books, you know, if especially if they're very long, I have to really feel like I, I really need to read this. I have to feel that sense of real interest and desire to read it for a particular reason. Otherwise... I just think, you know what, well, I'm just going to park you there because there are some books. I mean, I know that you laugh. I do get rid of books and I am, I, I'm better <laughs> at getting rid of, rid of books than you, but I, or, or worse, if anyone well, yes. for sure. Um, yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> but I do know instinctively books that I, I, I will want to read at some point. And especially if I've paid good money for them, I think I'm not going to give them to the charity shop because there will come a time when I do feel like this book. Um, and, there's only been a couple of times where I've got it wrong and then I've thought, oh, I can't believe I got rid of that book because I really want to read it now. Um, but the majority of the time, it's, you know, I try my best to, to instigate this sort of TBR system and, and think, you know, it's not fair. I've, I've left this book here for 10 years and, you know, now I'm reading a book I bought yesterday. I have to get through this mm-hmm. sort of backlog. Um, but essentially books aren't like that. Books, it's, it's not like an in-tray at work. You know, you can't, yeah. can't sort yeah. of prioritize in that way I think you have to prioritize with how you feel and and for me like buying books certainly in second-hand bookshops is different to buying new books so if I'm in a second-hand bookshop I might pick up a beautiful edition of something um, that's got lovely illustrations it might be a, a classic I'm not going to read that book anytime soon I just really like that edition and it's a decent price so I'm going to pick it up while I've got the chance um, whereas you know, if I'm in a new in a shop and it's fifteen pounds for a hardback, I'm going to buy that book because I want to read it tomorrow. You know, um, or even that very evening. So it's it's a different priority and it's a different way of buying things. And just like when I'm browsing the shelves at home, thinking, "Oh, what should I I read?" I'm not thinking, "Oh goodness, I've had that book for twenty years. I ought to read that now." I'm thinking, "What do I fancy reading?" So I suppose it doesn't really come into things. Yes, I think there is a difference when I, it's a book I've been waiting for, which doesn't happen very often, but you know, so if there's a new Turvey Janssen translation out, or a new novel by, do I read any new novels? <laughs> Helen or Yemi, I've always got, <laughs> got, got a second when a new book by her comes out. One of the ones I think I need to go and buy this as soon as it comes out, then I feel like then I have to read it as well, otherwise, what was the point of buying it new? Yeah. Um, but because I'm trying to be, yeah, going to be a little more determined to read older things now. I, I talked about in um, one of our recent episodes about how those books that I've really, really want, been wanting to read that I've, I've been saving for, you know, the perfect situation. And you quite rightly said, Tommy, that that was stupid. <laughs> so I've been thinking, like, okay, I take these down now. So things like The Sphinx by David Lindsay and The Birds by Frank Baker. So they're two novelists who I really like other books by them. And both those books are quite scarce quite hard to track down i was very excited when i found them and thought maybe i should actually read them <laughs> um i mean the birds turned out not to be very good but um but sphinx i've been really enjoying it's, it's all about it's sort of like a 
comedy of manners in the twenties of various different people and other different people, but also with um, a magical invention that can <laughs> share dreams. Right. I don't know. It's it was it was very my sort of taste when I bought it, and indeed it's still part of my taste now. It's very. In fact, I probably should have read it for my DFL. It would have been quite <laughs> useful to talk about that. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> um, and uh, random commentary, Dorothy Whipple, I read recently, thinking I, I was very excited when I found this, and I should actually read it at some point. Still about that. I know. <laughs> it's not. It's not great if that helps. I mean, it's. It, it, I'm sort of lying, but it's also. <laughs> it, it's. It's not her best work, but you know. Whatever. It's also. Great. Stop it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for why we buy books and 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 why we have books, and I I think. Certainly for those of us who love books and who love everything about books, not just necessarily what's inside the books, but what they look like and what additions there are and things like that. Buying a book, you're not necessarily buying it to read straight away. You're buying it because yeah. you want to finish a collection or you want that particular edition or you like those illustrations or you want to, um, you know, buy that book because it's the last remaining one of a set from an author that, that you want, that you're planning yeah. on, you know, you're not going to sit and read all 15 books by that author all at the same time. So I think, you know, people talk about TBRs as being, and I always imagine it as being this huge sort of tottering pile by somebody's bed. Um, but the reality is for most of us, the to be read pile doesn't, I don't think really exists in terms of, I don't have, all of the books that are unread on my shelves constantly in my mind as being something that I need to get to. You know, I can't even remember half the books I've got most of the time. And it's it's more a case of I stockpile books waiting. It's like my own little library ready for me to, to pick one up when I feel like reading it. Yeah, I think that's something for people who have more than, say, I don't know, 30 unread books. I mean, you know, I've got hundreds of unread books. But I think if, if you're the sort of person who... Um, and I've got friends who are big readers, who, but who only get a new book when they've finished reading the ones that they've got. Oh. <laughs> so they'll have, have a, they will have a literal TVR yeah. pile of you know five books on the bed ta- bedside table, and that's where you know that sort of decision might come in. But when I mean I've got you know well over a thousand unread books, so it's not, I'm not going to <laughs> amass them in one place. They're interspersed with all the other books. Um, and I think as soon as I make a list of books I want to read, whether, you know, a physical pile or just a list in my head, I instantly don't no, read them, as I'm you were same. saying. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think if you did only read the new books that came in, that's in a way that is like creating that sort of list. So that's why I do something like a century of books where I've got dates in mind. I've got to read a book for every year between 1919 and 2018, but I don't have a list and I don't make the list in advance because I knew if I did that, I'd instantly think, oh, I don't want to read any of these. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read something else completely. Um, so, yeah, like you, I'm much more just, what's my mood? What What's different from what I read most recently? What fits what I want to read now? I just wander around my shelves. Particularly now I've got all my books with me. Um, now that I, yeah, now that I've moved into my flat, I can just little mosey around and think, oh, this this suits me right now. And then if it doesn't work for a couple of pages, I'll put it back and get something yeah, else. I can't um, wait to be able yeah. to do that. It is great. Have all the books in one place. <laughs> Yes. Oh. <laughs> so it's yeah. I mean, I think that's that's really the kind of the way that I look at things. And and often a TBR pile will develop anyway as I'm reading something, and then I want to read something similar. So for example, I might be reading a book set during World War One, and then I think, oh, actually, I really want to read more about this. I want to see a female perspective. Oh, I know, I've got a book by Vera Britton on the shelf. I'll read that. And then mm-hmm. I might have a non-fiction book that I realise I've got and I'll, I'll read that next. And I'll probably go through a phase of reading six or seven books along the same theme. And that will get rid of a whole load of books I bought at one point when I was really interested in World War One, and clearly then did nothing with it. Um, <laughs> and I've got loads of sort of mini collections like that that centre around an interest where I've decided I'm really interested in something and I've, I've bought loads of books and I've perhaps only read a couple. Um, and I've got an enormous amount of Victorian books books I bought for my masters that I thought would be useful and then haven't actually read them. Um, because, you know, there's just so many. Oh, I can't relate at all, no. Um, so it's just, you know, you know how it is, Simon. You always, and I think exactly. you always think you're going to have more time to read things than you actually do. Because reading books does take a lot more time than, say, watching a film or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the thing, obviously, yes, buying, now that I don't have any restrictions to my buying, it's uh, the, the TVR pile or TVR, you know, 
vacuum is <laughs> increasing faster than the number of books I'm reading, which, you know, it was quite nice last year to feel that I was chipping away <laughs> at the unread books because I was reading faster than I was buying. Yeah. But yeah, I'm trying to be sensible this year, but it's not going very well. <laughs> well, it's hard as well, you know, when you love books and there's always, you know, that little feeling of excitement every time you go into a bookshop and it's not nice to have to think, I can't buy anything. Um, you know, if yeah, you see something yeah. that's special that you really want, then, you know, and we're never talking about a lot of money with books. It's not as if you're, you know, splashing a grand on a book or anything. It's, you know, it's yeah. £10 maximum, really. I mean, if it's more than £10, I mean, I'm putting it back on the shelf. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Know, I went, I went <laughs> into five, um, really, actually yeah. Henry Ford's books on Charing Cross Road the other day, one that I don't mm. like because the man's always don't read. And um, yeah. <laughs> I was browsing the shelves and I thought, you know what, I'm going to treat myself. Um, and they had a beautiful edition of a book. I can't remember which book it was now, but it was a classic anyway. And it was one of those Hugh Thompson mm. illustrated ones um, from the late 19th century. That You know the Peacock edition of, of Pride and Prejudice? That oh, yeah. it was a part of that series. I think it might have been George oh, Eliot or something. I don't know. So it had these beautiful gilt um, stamp decorations on the on the board, on the binding and then lovely illustrations inside. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. I have to buy this. And then I opened <laughs> the front cover and I I was like, oh my goodness, fifty pounds. <laughs> oh, good grief! I, yes, I, okay. I couldn't <laughs> believe he had it on an open shelving unit. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose there are a few in that, well, quite a few in that shop that like that. But I, yes, I've certainly never spent anything like that on a book, <laughs> nor would I. Um, it's always, yeah, I mean, perhaps it's a conversation for another day, but I, I'm, I'm rather baffled by the, you know, books as investments or books as valuable objects, um, thing. Like, if it's a really beautiful edition, then I'll pay a bit more, particularly if it's a gift or something. But, um, but I, I don't care if it's a first edition or not. And I, yeah, I'm not going to spend, huge amounts of money on a book that is available in a different edition cheaply like if it you know, if it's the only copy out there then i'll pay a bit more again but no, i mean obviously not that much mm-hmm. <laughs> but but i mean if it's a george Eliot, then i think well this is lovely but i can get a very nice edition for a fiver exactly so you know i'm the same and i think for me you know books are primarily to be read aren't they and i'm i'm not going to worry too much about whether it's a first edition or whether it's you know got a particular feature about it or anything like that but i think you know that with us it, it is i think very much about um you know the whole idea of buying books and and having books and keeping books it isn't just about reading it it's about the pleasure involved in in browsing and making the purchase and then bringing it home and having it on the shelf and being glad that you've managed to find that book or finish that collection or whatever and and i think once you add in this idea of of having to get things read and the concept of a tbr part it brings in mm-hmm. a sort of a pressure and a, a sense that reading is a sort of a job, which I I don't I don't like that terminology for that reason because it's not a job. It's it's a it's, it's a pleasure. It's something that is very much dependent on your mood, and you should always feel free to read whatever you feel like because books are there as a kind of a comfort blanket, aren't they? And if if we're feeling like oh I have to read this because I've promised myself I'll get rid of these new books that I bought, I mean then it's it's a chore, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, obviously, if you if you bought it, and you're really excited to get into it straight away. That's one yeah. thing. But if you think if you if it's guilt, then you're just not going to get the most out yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. Books um, should never I, make you feel guilty. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. Um, I have got a nice now. That, again, now I've got this flat and I've got my little coffee table. I've got a nice sort of interim thing where when I buy books, I'll leave them on there for a while, so I don't feel like I'm just putting them on the shelves and not seeing them for ages. I can just you know pick them up and take a look at them. It doesn't mean I'm going to read them straight away, but it feels a bit less like they're just going into the amorphous mass of reading material yeah. <laughs> around the around I the do walls. the same actually um, yeah, I have that yeah. it's just, I just put them there and then for a few days I'll just touch them and open them yeah. <laughs> and think oh lovely I'm really glad I got these books and then I'll just get them they disappear yeah. Yeah. Them yeah. Them I'm like forever, I really yeah. need to put these away somewhere so then they just get dumped <laughs> on the shelf and I hope my flatmate won't notice that I've bought them <laughs> um, and also now that uh, again I've got my books in the living room I um, hello, Hargreaves. Oh, that's the microphone, sweetie. Cat lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you're going to set a time. And... Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> I need to train him also not to attack electrical <laughs> wires. <laughs> but, um, yes, now I've got my books in the living room. It means as I'm sitting, just, you know, on the sofa, books catch my eye now in a way that 
they didn't really before because they're in my bedroom in a shared house or they're in my bedroom uh, in my parents' house. So it, yeah, I'm much more likely to serendipitously think, oh, maybe I'll read that one because I've just been looking up around the shelves and I think, oh, that's got a nice spine. I've forgotten I own that or something. Yeah, I think it does change your relationship with books, actually, if you can physically see them. Because, I mean, I've got loads of books in boxes at my parents and I was trying to remember the other day if I had, because I'm not very good at keeping up my library thing, um, and I I thought I had a book and the thing is, where my dad has stacked my books, boxes up, I physically can't lift the boxes. So I can, I can okay. only get to the top, the ones on top, and if they're not in there, then I can't get to them. And it's just really frustrating because I feel like, oh, I really want to read this book and I think I've got it and I wish that I could get to it and I can't. So I can't wait to have um, my all my books in my lounge. It's going to be wonderful because I have also I haven't I don't think I've said I've also bought I'm no, I've bought flat. So um, yeah, in the yeah. summer I shall be moving in and um, I shall finally be able to unpack all my books, which is lovely. I feel like we've gone on real like book owning journeys yeah, from during this podcast. Have. Yeah, which is. <laughs> When I moved and had all my books in boxes still, I quite um, something I found quite fun for a few weeks I did think I would have hated after that was that um, I could only really read books if they were at the top of the boxes on the top of the piles. So I was just opening boxes and think, fine, I'll read this. Um, which meant I read um, a Helen Dunmore novel, a John Ronson, um, The Many Stare at Goats, all these sorts of books that were never going to get to the top of my <laughs> reading pile otherwise, probably. I mean, in fact, it was the Helen Dunmore was the great coat and I didn't love it. <laughs> but the John Runs, they really did. And, um, and I can't remember what else, but it was, it was quite a nice sort of self-selecting way of yeah. <laughs> um, having my reading chosen for me. And sometimes I think I'm, I am quite good at keeping up my library thing because otherwise <laughs> I keep buying books I've already got. Maybe I should just get a random number generator and it will tell me what to read next for a bit. But again, you know, I'll probably immediately not want to read no. that. But it's a nice way of delving in and not just reading the obvious things. Yeah. I mean, if people, if it works for people, then great. You know, having a TBR pile and thinking, right, I'm going to work through these or I'm going to sort of collect together a few books. But, you know, I just know for me immediately, as soon as I if I, I decide, right, I'm reading these books, they're, they're the last books I'm ever going to read again. Yeah. I mean, I once made a shelf. In fact, a couple of times I've made a shelf of, like, must read soon. And yeah. There's nothing guaranteed to make me not read a book when I must read soon. So, <laughs> oh, dear. So yes, I've got none of that now. Everything is just in alphabetical order in various places. There's no priority piles. No, it's the best way to be. Yeah. I think we sort of answered so, our own question then. We neither. Yeah. So yeah, neither. But I think yes. If we had to pick one, bottom of the TBR. Yes, probably do the do the contrary thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for your suggestion, you. Karen. It's great. Um, and yes, on to the Penelopes. Um, would you like to introduce the bookshop if you remember more about it than I do? Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, I can have a stab. No, no, you but... go, but you go first because I'm just going to have to go and look it up. Okay, sure. So, um, According to Mark by Penelope Lively it was published in 1984, oh. um, just before we were born. Indeed. Um, and it's, in fact, it, when I, whilst I was reading, I was thinking this one made a great companion to Possession that we did <laughs> recently. Oh well, <laughs> because it's about um, uh, Mark, who is researching yes, a literary yes. biography of uh, Gilbert Strong, who is a made-up figure, but it, um, within the context of the book, is a great literary figure. Um, and he's off researching, meeting the granddaughter of of Gilbert Strong, who runs a garden centre from the house that Strong lived in, and isn't particularly literary or interested in literature. Um, and various romantic entanglements happen whilst he's there. Uh, and it's essentially it's a, an interesting and, um, uh, I guess slightly spiky in a nice way, <laughs> novel about the importance of literary research and truth and all that sort of thing, but, but in a much less, um, A.S. Byatt way than A.S. Byatt. Yeah, it's <laughs> not heavy handed. It, no, it's it's also a slightly you know offbeat comedy. Yeah. As well, so so all, all those things in quite a short novel. Um, how about the bookshop? Well, so the bookshop, which is by Penelope Fitzgerald, um, very confusing to have these two, um, is sort of set in supposedly set in 1959, but it didn't feel massively like it was set in 1959 to me. Um, and it's about a woman called Florence 
who moves on her own. She's a widow. She moves to this little Sussex seaside town um, that's the kind of typically English village where everybody's lived there for their entire lives and they hate newcomers. Um, and she decides that she wants to open a bookshop, as you do. Um, and she finds this little building it's like the old i can't remember exactly what it is but it's like a boat shed or something that's that's not mm. being used and she's like well i can use this and everyone's trying to talk her out of it and make life difficult for her but in the end she succeeds she sets up the bookshop and it's basically about the kind of slow process by which people try and scupper her chances and, and make life difficult for her and also a kind of Vi social comedy about the eccentricities of, of the British, really, and it's particularly rural British people. Um, <laughs> yes, so it's uh, it's an interesting one. It's one of those books where nothing really happens, but it's kind of you're sort of steeped in the environment. It's very atmospheric, the seaside town and all that sort of stuff. So. The thing that is often a, you know, a bibliophile's dream vision of like i'll go to a little little town and i'll set up a bookshop and it'll be lovely and it's in fact like she meets resistance the whole way it's it's basically a very small tragedy like in terms of well like yes it's written like a tragedy i think um at least i mean i think that perhaps that's open to interpretation but it it has the sort of people who are in like E.F. Enter's Map and Lucia series, but there where where they're feuding mm. and one-upmanship is a comedy, I found it quite searing and um, quite yeah unpleasant in the bookshop. I really enjoyed the book. I think it's a brilliant book. Um, it's probably still my favourite of her books. But um, it reminded me a bit of uh, what's that Nicole Kidman film? Oh, um, the others. By La- no, the Lars von Trier directed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the outsider comes in and, and the sort of pettiness of the villagers ruins her life, basically. Yeah, it's, it's quite a dark book in that way, actually, because what's also I found quite unnerving about it is that there's no real reason to dislike Florence. She's, she's not no. doing anything bad. It's just, you know, somebody else might have wanted to do the shop to do some, like somebody wanted it as an art centre, so they want her out. It's like, well, it could be both things, actually. You don't need to have, um, it's like everyone's annoyed that she's had the temerity to come in and want to, to do something with her life rather than just, you know, exist like they all do. Um, mm. And I, I mean, I found it quite a difficult book in many ways. It reminded me a little bit of my ill-fated experience with Anita Bruckner. Um it ah. felt very much like an Anita Bruckner book to me. I wouldn't have been surprised okay. if somebody had said to me, this is an Anita Bruckner book. How interesting. Because, yes, I can see, like, the characters and the scope are very similar. But to me, it's so much more, um, what do I say? It's so much more perceptive and, and incisive about characters and about... I don't know. It's, there's something about the sort of um, brittleness of the writing in in Fitzgerald's novels that I always find, in the same way I do in Muriel Spark or Jane Bowles or someone, that it's it makes it so sparse but so punchy. I just um, like her friendship with Christine. The yeah, the little girl. It's, it's, it's like extremely unsentimental, and they certainly don't seem to have a lot of affection for each other. But it's that <laughs> friendship of, um, I guess. Of use, it's convenient, <laughs> isn't it? But yeah, there is an effect, yeah. I think there is a bit of an affection between the two of them. But well, not between the two of them. I think perhaps Florence has a bit of affection for Christine, but Christine yes, yes, doesn't yes, have yeah. any affection back. And I, I think I, I found that's what I, I, I felt the similarity between Bruckner and and Fitzgerald was in the fact that they both write these characters who are quite insular. And there, mm. I didn't feel a particular connection to any of them. And I felt in the same way as that hotel, as Hotel de Lac, that this book was written outside of its time. It didn't feel modern. Um, it felt old fashioned. And I know it was supposed to be set in 1959, but it didn't feel in any way like it was set in 1959. It read like it was 1980s, but had been, you know, but written by somebody who was out of step. It just it the tone felt off to me. Yeah. I didn't enjoy. I, did, I um, mean, I didn't massively enjoy it. I was expecting a kind of 
little little masterpiece, a beautiful little yeah. you know novella that that really sung off the page and said something really profound. And for me, it didn't really say anything profound. I just found it really depressing, and I didn't feel that there was enough reason behind anyone's actions to make their behaviour necessarily convincing. And I felt that Florence gave up too easily. Um, I think you've had a similar experience with this one that I had. So the first one I read by her was Human Voices, which is set at the BBC, and I just couldn't find anything to grasp onto, and I just ended up thinking, like, I don't feel like I've got into this world yet, and I don't really know what's going on, I didn't like it. And the bookshop was the second one I read, and I felt the same for the first 30 pages or so, and then something clicked, and I just loved it after that. I thought it was just brilliant writing. Again, I didn't warm to anyone. I didn't feel like it wasn't a realistic novel in the way that some are, and it certainly wasn't a cosy novel. Um, but I do find that she, it's, she's, it's like she's doing these sort of miniature masterpieces, to my mind. Um, and I can see why she'd be off-putting um, if you don't connect to that particular style or that approach to... to showing people because yeah we don't learn a huge amount about Florence she's quite um she keeps her distance from the reader as well but I think the difference I found with Bruckner is that it's not about her talking about how she's distant from other people or about you know luxuriating in that distance from people it's more just a slightly damaged person who we see from a slight distance I guess if that makes sense yeah no I see what you're saying I suppose I mean, I can see how other people would love it, and the writing is is very good. It's just I didn't feel any kind of involvement in the story. I didn't mm. feel any affection for any of the characters, and I just felt mild, mildly annoyed the whole way through. Um, <laughs> Have you read anything else? No, I it? haven't. This is my first thing that I've read. So okay. I did, you know, I was I, I wouldn't be put off trying another one of her books because, as I say, the writing was very good. Um, it's just a bit, you know. You know when you just think, I'm so annoyed with all everybody and I don't understand why people are behaving this way. It's a bit like on Chesil Beach by Ian McEwan. I'm like, come on. You know, nobody would do this. And it just, uh, it's that same level of, I can't, I can't get myself into the head of these characters and, and I can't feel that the way that they're being portrayed is convincing enough for me to believe that I'm, I'm reading real people. And I, once that barrier's come down with me, I can't get past it. Fair enough. Well, we'll come back to the bookshop, but we should talk about yes. According to Mark, um, which is the third novel I've read by Lively, and I didn't like the first two, <laughs> <laughs> um, which were Oleander Jacaranda and something else. Um, both Well, they read, I think, maybe slightly later ones. Um, whereas this one, I did really enjoy. Um, I thought it was... I, I mean, I love reading about literature mm. or re- reading about literary exploration, Um I mean, both the main characters in these novels are doing something in pursuit of literature, but in quite different ways. (laughs) Um, Mark is obsessed with this uh, sort of, I don't know, what's the male equivalent of a grand dame? I don't know. (laughs) Um, He's a sort of Carlyle figure, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And like, not hugely read in the, you know, Mid eighties when it's set, um, but still very well known in literary circles. Um, certainly, lots of other people have worked on his on him um, and studied him. And so, Mark is trying to find this unique angle, um, which involves, in the end, having an affair with his granddaughter, <laughs> which is a absolutely unique angle. But I loved Carrie, the granddaughter. Um, she felt, uh, in some ways, a bit like um, Florence, one of these characters who we never quite. Um, get that close to and her, her reasons for doing things don't line up with mine particularly uh, um, but I enjoyed the simplicity in some ways of her her way of living she she just did things if she wanted to and didn't if she didn't essentially yeah. um, and you know wasn't particularly bothered in influencing anyone around her with her opinions except against certain flowers that she hated <laughs> didn't want to sell at her garden centre <laughs> Um, what, what did you think of According to Mark? Um, I found it quite slow to start off with, um, but once I got into it, I really enjoyed it. Actually, I really liked her mm. writing stuff. I find her writing actually quite similar to Fitzgerald's. It wouldn't have surprised mm. me for them to have been by the same person. 
Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Because yeah. they're both they're both writers who are writing around the same period, um, and it, it, they'd both feel very much like books written in the 1980s, which is quite interesting actually. Because I mean, it's only 30 odd years ago, but it. It, mm, and the bookshop was written in 1978, so well, even more interesting. Well, there we are, yes. <laughs> um, whatever, within a couple of years. It, it wouldn't be an episode if I wasn't, you know, pedantic about your <laughs> I did in generalities, Simon. Specific. <laughs> um, so, so it's... Um, I can't remember what I was saying now. Yes, they've got a similar sort of writing styles, I feel, and a, and a, and a similar kind of feel, but certainly... Um, I felt, according to Mark, felt a bit more modern, perhaps because of the, it was in London and everything else, in, and not much has changed in the respect of where stuff is and the tube and all those sorts of things. So it, it didn't feel old-fashioned particularly, um, apart from that they, they couldn't take the Eurostarter to France because it didn't exist yet. Um, but that's, it's, I found it interesting, actually. I found it interesting to have Mark as this main character, written by a woman, somebody who's clearly having some sort of midlife crisis, um, mm. And I, I found it quite interesting to explore that sense of a man getting to a certain point in his life, feeling like perhaps he hasn't achieved what he what he wanted to, and not really sure where his life is going or what he wants. And I thought also it was really interesting his wife um, Diana, who's a very interesting character as well. She's very much somebody who does know what she wants, um, mm. and her sort of very matter of fact way of dealing with things and just kind of well you know he's going through a crisis and he'll come around the other side and he knows what he really wants and um and also the way that they'd they'd not had children not really they never decided not to have children they just hadn't decided to have children and then by the time they thought they might want a child it was too late and that kind of idea Mm. that life had just sort of happened to mark in a way he'd never really made any active decisions and i felt a bit the same about his his choice of writing about um is it gilbert his name um this, yeah. this writer, in the sense that he doesn't really feel any particular passion about him. In fact, several times he says his writing's a bit rubbish, actually. Um, but it's kind <laughs> of like, well, I need to write another biography of someone who hasn't anyone else picked. I'll take this guy. Um, and there was this whole kind of lack of passion for anything in his life. And first of all, I was a bit like, oh, this is ridiculous, when he like, immediately falls in love with, with Carrie. Then yes, it was very I sad. Thought, really, it? does that happen? And I thought, actually, it probably does. When you've, And then I thought a bit more about the characterisation of Mark and, and him being this, this person who sort of drifted along, really, and, and he's, things have happened to him, and he's just sort of been swept away with the tide, as it were. Um, and this is the first time that something's happened to him and he literally doesn't know what to do with himself. Um, and, and that I found really, really interesting. And, and what I think was much better about this book is that Penelope, um, Lively gives you enough background and justification for characters' behavior that you can really think, oh, well, you know, he's behaving a little bit ridiculously. But because of X, Y, Z, I can see why he's doing that. Whereas in the bookshop, I didn't feel that I had enough information about those characters to to really think, oh, okay, I can see why she's doing that or I can see why he's doing that. And everything just felt a bit forced, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I I do agree um, that in terms of what we see on the page. But oddly, it's one of the reasons I... Um, really like the bookshop is that stylistically it seems to me I have no sort of pure there that we're not told about everyone's motivations we're just presented with this odd and yet somehow very norm very common community with sort of thrown into I mean I love living in a small community um, but you do you are affected a lot more by the people around you than you are if you live in, in a city um, because I mean I, I didn't know who my neighbours were in Oxford um, and you know their their lives didn't really impinge on mine unless they parked in front of my house. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> in a in a village, it's much more uh, synthesis, I guess, between different people. Um, so for me, I quite I thought it was a good depiction of a small village, and that you're there, you don't quite know why people are acting as they do, but it affects you, <laughs> your life nonetheless. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if that's what she was going for, but it felt sort of immersive in that way. And and I keep always use words spiky with with her prose and I didn't really, really know what I mean by that but but it's it feels like none of the sentences are quite the edges aren't rounded off in the way that they are in lively and I think it works very well in lively in that way um but it's less disconcerting 
Um, and I quite like being disconcerted by a novel sometimes. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying, actually, and that's a really uh, nice way of putting it. I suppose I've never really lived in a small community, so I wouldn't know what it's like. Um, mm. And I, I, you're absolutely right, often people do behave in ways that are incomprehensible, and, and there is no reason why. Um, and that sense of frustration certainly comes through in the book. You don't know why people are behaving in the way they are, and I suppose, yeah, perhaps that's that's my problem, in that I always expect... I always want to try and justify things and explain and mm. I'm always looking for, I want to see an answer. Um, and the fact that, that she, um, Fitzgerald sort of refuses that element of, of the character is, is quite interesting. And perhaps, I mean, I feel like probably if I'd read the bookshop, um, uh, in a, in a different mood, I, I probably mm. would have enjoyed it more, but I read it because I, I wanted to read it quickly and I did read it very quickly. I think I read it all in a day. Um, and I, it is very it's short, very short. It? <laughs> um, and I perhaps didn't, if I'd read it in a few sittings, I might have perhaps mulled over it a bit more. Perhaps I'm giving it short shrift. Well, easy to go back to yeah. if you want if you want to <laughs> say it again. Um, and then, I mean, a lot of her books are historical as well, so you, I don't know if you mm. prefer those or not, but she wrote um, the one I read most recently, The Blue Flower, which a lot of people say is her masterpiece, although actually it's not my favourite of hers, but it's... Um, it's all about oh, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's not Voltaire. Um, Hang on, I'll give it Fritz von Hardenberg. I mean, that sounds like that sounds oh, like yes. a porn name. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you, it's not. Well, actually, having said that, <laughs> um, I'll just cut all this and go back. <laughs> so, so yes, that's a uh, the blue flower, which is about Friedrich von Hardenberg, um, who was. <laughs> A practitioner of German romanticism. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm such a five year old. Who does have a, um, an, uh, an affair with a, with an underage girl in the novel. It's all very... I recommended it to my book group without having read it, and it turned out to be the second book I recommended <laughs> without having read that was about someone having a relationship with an underage girl. Simon, like, you've got Sorry, issues. Just, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a terrible person. <laughs> The other being um, Memoirs of My Melancholy Horse by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, mm. um, both of which I liked. Any uh, the books, but um, anyway, yes. Uh, she she's also written about Russians in the past and yeah, various historical things. And Offshore, which I think is all about London, so you might prefer that one, um, which I haven't read. But um, I do think talking about characters and understanding their motivations and things. It's interesting in libraries, and I think she does this very well, is that we understand mostly what people's motivations are, but she shows us uh, very well what happens when the characters mm. don't understand each other. Mm. So Carrie and Mark are having this relationship. Um, it's not even a relationship, really, it's just yeah. sex, essentially. And he's in love with her, and she's just going along with it, because why not, um, in her mind? Um, and she's not trying to cause a fuss or make any big statements. He's trying to work out what the relationship is. And I think she does scenes very well where she's just very matter of fact, leaving like, sure, I'll have sex yeah. with you tonight. But I mean, that doesn't really mean that much to her. And he's trying to, he's not vocalizing that much about what he thinks the status of their relationship is, what he might do about his marriage, etc. Yeah. Um, and she does those, those, those scenes of confusion and unspoken um yeah miscommunication and sort of things very well i thought yeah she does and it's it's interesting how little mark asks about people or realizes about people he's so wrapped up in himself that he assumes everyone's got the same viewpoint as, as him um on things which is interesting mm-hmm. but it's, I, mean, I thought it was a really interesting multi-layered book and i, I liked the the element of the author and finding out things about him that no one had realized. And it did feel a bit possession in places. Um, yeah. I would actually probably but say it's, it's better. Yeah. I mean, maybe I aspire, you know, ripped it off. <laughs> uh, allegedly. Yeah. Please don't see what I say. I mean, I, I said maybe. <laughs> um, I, I did really enjoy um, the little sort of literary throwaway references, which made me feel, you know, very pretentious, but, um, I think she threw away these sort of references that people will tend to get and feel like they're being very clever. Um, but um, it's a nice bit of it when Diana, has, uh, Mark's wife, is talking with him and she says, did he know Vanessa and Roger and Duncan and Virginia yeah. and all that crew? Like, oh. <laughs> he, he is. <laughs> and then he says, he, he was sort of on the edges of that. And she says, go on, poor you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I enjoyed as a sort of, once you've got a mention of the Bloomsday group, because obviously that's 
Vanessa Bell, yeah. Roger Fry, Duncan Grant, and Virginia Woolf, um, that you've suddenly got worlds more research that you've got to do and thousands more biographies you've got to read and all that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, those little bits I found uh, quite entertaining, although would probably be quite opaque if you were reading this without any interest in the period at all. Anyway. <laughs> um, have you read anything else by Penelope Live? No, this is my first time with both of them. Ah. Exactly. I would definitely be interested in reading more Penelope Lively, perhaps more so than Fitzgerald. Yeah, I um, say I didn't particularly like the first I've read, but she is one of those people I've got lots of books by, and I've heard her speak a couple of times, and she's a brilliant speaker. Um, but the reason I was keen to read this one was Harriet. Um, Harriet Devine wrote a review of it a few years ago and really loved it, and I thought, okay, that's the one I should try um, next, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and the title's fun. <laughs> I like the yeah. title. Yeah. Um, little sort of book of common prayer reference for you there. <laughs> Certainly more more effort into the title than the yes. <laughs> so if you if you had to choose, Simon. Hmm. Well, I am going to choose the bookshelf. <gasps> I uh, I do. Um, I did enjoy both a lot, but the bookshelf I just found a really special little book, and not at all what I thought it was going to be going in. Thought it was going to be a cozy, lovely little story about someone having their dream setting up a bookshop, and it's not that at all. And we haven't even talked about the ghost. No, very odd. <laughs> yes, um, which you know might put people off, but it's it's sort of very incidental poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I enjoyed the quirkiness of it a lot, um, and I, indeed, it, it led me to read quite a few other books by Fitzgerald. And lively, I'll certainly read more, but I don't think this book has captured my um, sort of imagination in the same way. Yeah. But I, I think I know which one you're going to go for. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to go with According to Mark. I really enjoyed it, actually. And um, it was very different to a book I would normally read. I actually thought to myself as I was reading both of these books, I've read very few books from the 70s and 80s. Um, I don't know why that is. I just haven't ever felt particularly drawn to any of them. And it's made me think maybe I need to branch out a little bit. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to... Yeah, it's a very distinctive sort of 70s, 80s style. Mm. And these, I think, both... I mean, it's quite a broad church, but I think, yeah, they both fit into what, yeah, they felt very off their, off their time, not in a negative yeah. way, but yes, I would certainly be able to tell that's when they were. Whereas Penelope Lively is still writing books, so she's obviously, um, covers a lot of different periods. Yeah. I'd be interested to read more of her stuff, actually. Any recommendations yeah. would be gladly welcomed. Yes, do some in, and we can, e- even maybe for Penelope Mortimer as yeah. well, if you want to mix it up a bit. Who I have read. Yes, I'll have too. <laughs> Ah, which one? Uh, Daddy's Gone Hunting. Oh, yeah. definitely, yes. I've not read that. I read um, The Pumpkin Eater, which is yeah. brilliant. So, in the next episode, we will be retreating from the 70s um, and 80s to the 50s and 10s <laughs> with um, Thomas Midnight Garden by Philippa Pierce versus The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett, um, a pairing recommended by my friend Lauren. Thank you very much, Lauren. Mm-hmm. We're both very much looking forward to indulging in a bit of garden-based nostalgia. Yeah, childhood classics. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, both of which mentioned in Lucy Mangan's bookworm, To Come Full wow. Circle. <laughs> um, great so look forward to discussing that next time and thanks for listening thanks everyone, everyone. bye bye